0: This is the word of the Lord for us uh, today, and we'll spend time there. Before we uh, turn our attention to hear uh, God's word spoken through Scripture and God's Spirit with us this morning, there are two things I want to say. Um, first, is this is in relation, in response to Jim's uh, Tim's announcement just a moment ago. I want you to know that um, I'm humbled. It's a privilege to be asked to share this journey with you. I mean, in general, it's been a privilege. Um, It's been what now, Art? Um, Maybe six, getting close to nine months uh, that I've been blessed. We have been blessed to worship with you um, and come to love this church. Um, I've been blessed to share the gift of preaching. which I don't take those gifts, those blessings lightly, and I'm I'm grateful. And so to be asked to be a guide in this journey with you is humbling, and it's a privilege, and I'm thankful. I think it's important that we take time together, to reflect together, to pray together. We say study together, which, of course, we want to study together, but we're going to reflect and pray together and talk together, meaning not just me talking, but us talking to each other together. I think this invitation extended to us by the shepherds of this church to consider our life together as God's people and the shape of that life for all of us, male and female, is um, not a tangential thing, but a central thing. And so it's worth our time. It's worth taking the journey together to think through these things. And um, as they reminded us, they've taken 40 days themselves. Uh, That's a commitment they made to this church. We're going to take 40 days to reflect and study ourselves and to pray. And I'd like for us to return the same commitment, you and me, that we're going to take the next 40 days, I don't know if it'll, don't, don't mark that, you know, mark it off your calendar. I don't know if it'll be a literal 40 days, but we're going to take the next stretch, right? To pray together and to discern together. Um, and so uh, we'll begin this in April, and I want to encourage you, uh, us all, more intensely to focus our prayers on God's blessing and leading. Second thing, Ricky's away today. Anybody notice? Oh, maybe you noticed that Ricky's not here this morning. And he shared with me today that today is the last day of our teenagers' uh, participation in the My Serve ministry. He's uh, reminded us of that previously, the My Serve ministry. 23 of our high school students have served in countless ways, and uh, as they seek to embrace the call of Jesus, which is, I've come. Um, Not just to be served, but to serve, right? That this is the Jesus way, that we offer our lives for the sake of each other. We serve each other, and learning that practice and that discipline forms them and forms all of us, and so I want us to, uh, if you are a teen here who has served in my serve ministry in any way, I want you to stand up, and I want everyone to affirm them, God's work in them, so stand if you're around, or yeah, thank you hey hey we see you we see you we see god's work in you we affirm god's work in you we bless you we love you um we we want you to know uh, how important you are and how thankful we are for you so you guys can sit down Uh, so I'm not sure. I'm looking at the booth. We're going to do a little talk back here. If we're going to play the sermon bumper or if that's not going to play for us with audio, just give me a thumbs up or thumbs down on that. We'll see. We'll take a minute to center ourselves as we enter the sermon. There we go. We're going to do this without audio, and that's okay. You recognize these words? Amen. We're not only going to see them on the screen but we're going to say them together because it's a prayer that Jesus said to pray, say these words. And so if you'll join me now. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Amen. You may have noticed that the title of this series of sermons, these weeks that we've shared together stretching into now months that we've shared together in this series of sermons, this series that has created the space for us to hear these words, to spend some time, understanding the significance of them, to embrace them again, to allow them to form and shape how we think and what our hearts desire, that reorient us and transform us, that we come back to over and over again. The title of this series of sermons was, is not, was not, the Lord's Prayer. Or I think an equally good sermon title might have been teach us to pray, Right? But instead, the title of this series of sermons is House of Prayer. House of Prayer. We've turned our hearts towards this gift that Jesus has given us to form our hearts and minds in a house of prayer. Because the prayer is a response to the disciples' request. you'll remember, when they came to Jesus, having observed that John's disciples asked him, to teach them to prayer. They came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Not in individual tutorials, right? Which would be one way to go at it. But teach us. The pronoun is plural. Teach us collectively to pray. And then when Jesus offered them words to say, words from Jesus himself, words from God to pray back to God, that the pronouns in the prayer are plural. Plural. He did not give them words that went like this, my father in heaven, but instead, our father, collective, plural, our father in heaven. And when he taught them to say, um, be completely dependent upon God's provision, he did not uh, uh, give them a phrase like, give me this day my daily bread right? But give us this day our daily bread. The prayer that we're gifted is for the whole people of God, for the community. It's not for individuals. It's for us collectively. Now, we may say the prayer individually. You may take time. I don't know. There may be different uh, uh, disciplines across uh, this gathering of people who maybe you wake up every morning and you say these words. And I think that's fine. Did you notice that when you say them, you're still saying them in the plural? You're connected in the saying of this prayer to each other, to the whole fellowship of God's people. It is our common prayer, and maybe that's why I think the centerpiece of our life together, our assemblies together, our worship together as God's people, more than anything else we might think of our gatherings as a House of prayer. This was not planned, but I'm telling you, we began this morning with one who came to lead us in prayer, called to worship, and we said three prayers. And James came and he led us in this beautiful prayer for the people we know and love and care about. And Raymond and the praise team led us. And in those, did you sense this? That even in the singing of these songs, that we are offering up a prayer. And then again, we prayed, um, heard this prayer for the people of Ukraine. I'm telling you, this assembly has been uh, laced through with prayer. With prayer. I don't know how you conceive of worship and what it is, but for many people, and I would encourage us to maybe consider this notion that really the assembly together is really an opportunity for the people of God to turn their hearts more fully toward God, which means that they can be more fully open to love each other, more fully toward God, and that what we do here is the church comes to say it's prayer. This is a house of prayer. In every way, a house of prayer. And that phrase, house of prayer, is actually one that Jesus speaks when he enters Jerusalem. This passage that was read for us from uh, Mark 11. As Jesus enters Jerusalem and he stands then in the temple courts and he witnesses all of those who are gathered there buying and selling and he overturns their tables. That's the context. He overturns their tables and we always like this one because we finally get to see Jesus, you know, show a little... Um, he's, he's a little fired up, right? And he overturns their tables there in the temple courts, and he says, in that moment, my house, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. A house of prayer A den of robbers. Jesus understands that the assembly of God's people for worship is above all a house of prayer. Not only that, but Jesus isn't the first to use that phrase, that description for the life of God's people as they assemble in God's name. He's actually drawing forward words from a time long before when he uh, entered um, the world. He's drawing words that were spoken in the co- to God's people in the context of captivity, of Babylonian captivity, ca- captivity by Isaiah the prophet. That's where this phrase comes from. In fact, if you look closely in Mark 11 at the passage that was read for us, Jesus says, Have you not heard? It is written my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, is written where? Well, it's written back in Isaiah because Isaiah is standing in his moment, Babylonian captivity, and he takes up this phrase. Uh, These words, these scriptures from Isaiah 56, from that moment, this is what the Lord says, maintain justice and do what is right for my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. You get this sense back in verse 1. That, if you could slide back, one slide, that, that the uh, movement of God, that the activity of God is close. In other words, the injustice, the oppression, the suffering of people, God's own people in the world under ag- exile is going to come to an end. God's not going to let this stand. His salvation for them is close at hand. His righteousness will soon be revealed. You see that? it's pres- God's moving in the world. He's active and he's present and he's moving towards them. And so he says, next slide, next verse here, let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. The Lord will surely exclude me. Let no foreigner, foreigner, Having a hard time saying that word. Let no foreigner think that they're excluded. Next verse. And let no eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. The salvation of God is at hand, it's soon. His, he, he's moving soon. His righteousness is soon to be revealed. He's acting, He's moving towards us. Look, here's the context. In Babylonian captivity, um, the people of God are um, taken siege. (laughs) They're captive. They're hauled off as prisoners. The whole people by the Babylonians, that empire, the Babylonians. And the Babylonians are smart. They see that among the people that they've taken captive, there are gifted ones ones with special gifts skills and they deploy them in service of babylon they're, they're captives right they don't just lock them away they want to leverage the human resource of the people they've taken captive but they don't want to risk they don't want to risk that that goes poorly so those males in service of the empire are made eunuchs. You understand what this is, yes? They're castrated. They can no longer reproduce. They have no drive, right? That's the context in which this is spoken. And not only that, but listen, Isaiah says, foreigners who are led to believe that there is no place for them in God's house Right? Belong because of God's promise to be a blessing to all nations. They're included, not excluded. That's what's happening in Isaiah 56 in the context of the Babylonian Empire. Eunuchs, the most gifted, put in service ones of the empire, cruelly subjugated, vulnerable. Foreigners with no place and no belonging, cut off from God with no future and no hope. And you understand that one of the most significant and important things in ancient Middle Eastern culture is the ability, you've heard this before, I'm guessing, in Bible classes and sermons, perhaps, that what's important is that you are able to hand down your lineage from generation to generation to generation, right? That's the whole thing with Abraham and Sarah, We're old and barren. We have no future, no hope. That the act of making one a eunuch is cutting off existentially, in terms of the meaning of their life, any future and any hope. They're cut off from that. Excluded from a future with hope. So listen to what Isaiah says. These next few verses. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. You see what's happening here? You are not cut off from a future with hope. The despair that you feel that you cannot have sons and daughters, that you cannot reproduce your lineage and therefore have a future with hope, does not mean that you are cut off from a future with hope. I will give you a memorial, a name better than sons and daughters. I will give you an everlasting name that will endure forever. You see that? And then in the next verse. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be His servants. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. They have a place, they are not excluded, they are not cut off from the salvation, from the righteousness, from the promises of God. They are included in this house of prayer. And it's these words from Isaiah spoken in that context that I guarantee you as Jesus speaks them, he knows exactly where they come from. And the people who hear them in the temple courts there, those people, they know those words from Isaiah. He takes those words and he draws them forward. He looks around at what's taking place. A marketplace has grown up Money changers, people selling doves. Why are they selling doves? Because they need doves for the sacrifices. A people profiting on the desire of the the least, the most vulnerable, to be included. To be included. They've created a barrier for those who would come to the house of God. And it's these least, most vulnerable ones who are left out. They are the excluded ones. They are the cut off ones. And Jesus is furious. He's furious. He overturns their tables and he drives them out. And when the dust settles, he catches his breath and he looks around at them all and says, my house. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. You make it into a den of robbers. I want to allow those words to settle over us for a moment. My house, God says. This house, God says will be a house of prayer for all nations. No one is cut off. No one is excluded. No one is left out. No one. Jesus is kind of serious about this stuff, like turning over tables and kicking up some dust. Serious about this stuff. No one is left out of God's house. Look, the words at least say this, and it all depends upon how you want to turn the word for in that phrase, a house of prayer for all nations. One way to read that, I think probably the first way to read that is that this is a house. My house, Jesus says, God's house, this house, is for all people. Right? Bring down the barriers, break down every table we have thrown up in the courts that exclude and cut off, especially the most vulnerable, those crushed and beaten down, those who seek refuge among the people of God because they have no home, Foreigners, they have no place, they have no people, they have no future, and they're struggling to find a place in people. Bring down the barriers. Do not exclude them. That's one way to read it. This house will be a house of prayer for all. Another way to read that for is that this will be a house of prayer That what we do in these assemblies is prayer. In the songs that we sing, in the words that we say, even as the Spirit moves among us in the hearing of God's Word, it's a prayer that's being offered up. Sometimes with sighs and groans that we can't even express, the Spirit interceding for us, but it is an assembly for prayer. It is a prayer for all nations. It's a place of prayer where all are included. It is a prayer for all nations. And as we stand in this historical moment, these words also say that we cannot carry on with the work of prayer, with the work of worship, with our heads down, concerned only with ourselves. Meaning our own personal selves, our own collective selves, meaning our own plight in the world as a nation. The prayer that Jesus gives us to pray is not provincial. That phrase provincial means that only concerning your state or your nation. You can Google that. The faith that Jesus hands us is not provincial, meaning we just look out for ourselves the prayer that Jesus gives us, the faith that we're handed, the desire of God from the promise of Abraham all the way through when God said to Abraham, through you I will bless all nations, is not provincial. Our God is not the God of any single nation state, but the God of the universe and the God of all people. This is a house of prayer that Jesus assembles us in, a house of prayer for all nations and all people, not for ourselves alone, but for all people, and especially those most vulnerable, cursed and beat down. We pray for Ukraine because Jesus prays for Ukraine in every other part of the world, sometimes hidden and unseen, where the most vulnerable and the most weak are suffering. When we say in the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are praying for the peace of God to reign on the earth as God intended it in the beginning, and God will make it be in the end. May your kingdom come and your will be done. May your peace reign on the earth for all people. We believe that Jesus has entered into the suffering of the world. That this journey we take over these next few months that will lead us to the cross and to the resurrection at Easter. That's coming in April too. That that journey teaches us that Jesus has entered into our suffering, into the suffering of a broken world. And in this moment, he sits with the suffering of a broken world and he sits with the suffering of those, particularly those vulnerable and weak and suffering in Ukraine. Um, I'll share this piece from an email. Um, If you're... An ACU alum, there are a few of you, you saw this email um, from Dr. Schubert. Uh, it had called us uh, as Christians to pray for Ukraine, and, and then it told the story about Andy Fleming, Andy, uh, class of 80, anyone, just by any class, class anybody close, class of 80? I don't know. Andy Fleming and his wife Tammy have been missionaries in Kyiv for more than 30 years, He's enrolled in ACU's Doctor of Ministry program. Currently, they're serving with their daughter, her husband, and four-year-old grandson in Kiev. As of earlier this week, they were sheltering with other neighbors in the corridor of their apartment complex. I take that to mean like the hallway of their apartment complex, because of nearby explosions and other signs of conflicts. Um, this is an excerpt from a message they sent. Um, highlights the call for all of us to intercede for his family and all those who are suffering in Ukraine. Quote, This morning we had a live online message by the lead evangelist of the Kiv Church with about 200 households connected and were called to focus on God and to hope and to love. Online church. In the middle of war. My wife and I survived the fall of the Soviet Union in 1991, Moscow, and I know God will bring us through this as well. I can't help but think of Ephesians 6, that's that passage when it says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities of this dark world, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm, that passage. Thanks to all of you for your kind words of encouragement and prayers for us in the whole Ukraine. Please know that the Ukrainians are encouraged by every demonstration of support from the outside world. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And so we pray today for Ukraine. And earlier... We were led uh, in a prayer. The source was cited from Christianity Today's website. Um, Actually uh, penned by individuals from the uh, Church of England. And we're not just going to hear that prayer, but we're all going to pray it together. And so I'm going to ask you, I'll lead the parts that are um, in White, and we'll all say together the parts that are in the yellow there on the screen. So take this moment of silence, and then I will invite us to begin. Together we say, God of peace and justice, we pray for the people of Ukraine today. We pray for peace and the laying down of weapons we pray for all those who fear for tomorrow that your spirit of comfort would draw near to them. We pray for those with power over war or peace, for wisdom, discernment, and compassion to guide their decisions. Above all, we pray for all your precious children at risk and in fear that you would hold and protect them. We pray in the name of Jesus. The Prince of Peace. Amen. In this house of prayer, we pray for all those cut off, broken down, excluded, in whatever ways that that visits the world, in places far away and in places near. For those of us gathered here in this house of prayer who in many ways may find yourself feeling cut off and excluded from the love of God, the good news is you are loved with an everlasting love. You are held in the arms of grace and you are given a future with hope. You belong because you are a child of God. You are welcome here. And you're invited to come today in this house of prayer to be prayed over if you so choose. For words of blessing, for words of encouragement, for words of comfort, for words that say you are loved by God and you are loved by the people of God, and you belong here. Nothing can separate you. Nothing that you have done, nothing of the moment in which you stand can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. This is a house of prayer for all. Let's stand together and sing.